Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. Good to be with you today for day 248, which brings us to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which is so perfect, so wonderful, so rich and full of life and truth. We ask that you would write your word on our hearts today and help us to draw close to you even as you have revealed yourself to us through your word, may our hearts be moved to worship you in spirit and in truth through the time we spend in your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We've received the law now in chapter 5. Now what are we going to do with that law in our lives? We've been commanded to walk in it and to obey it. What does that look like? Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, 
We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes, and he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. That is Deuteronomy chapter 6. So again, the, the law has been given. And the way that chapter 5 ended, of course, in the original, you know, there's no chapter divisions or verse markings. Those were all added hundreds of years later just to make it easier to find things in the Bible and to talk about the things that we found in the Bible and to teach about the things from the Bible. So the reference markers. So there's no break really between chapter 5 and 6, but for the sake of ease, chapter 5 ended with this command, you shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you. So how do we do that? <clears throat> well, we have these commandments, right? This is, this is an old covenant context. And so we have to do some translating to bring it into a new covenant context, because there is a difference between the shadow and the substance, between the promise and the fulfillment, between the anticipation and the reality. So the promised land for God's people was never ultimately about going into the land of Canaan and taking over this strip of land on the east side of the Mediterranean. We looked at that earlier in our studies, but Hebrews and Jesus himself and lots of other places in the New Testament make it clear that really it's the new heavens and the new earth it's the new Jerusalem. It's the city that God has built. It's, it's the heavenly city. It's the, it's the hope of the new creation and the, and the restoration of all things and the new heavens and the new earth when God will be with us. That's, that's the land. But then we have the kingdom of God on earth seen visibly manifested in the church as a gospel kingdom where Christ as king rules over us as his people. And that is our, <clears throat> our tent, pilgrimage, uh, wilderness, wandering, tabernacling, journeying through, right? But it's where God is present among us. But there's still, there's a promised land in, the, in this life in the sense of entering into uh, the fullness of the Christian life, life with God, life lived under God's lordship, uh, life enjoying the, the blessing and the protection and the and the good provision of God and his favor upon our lives because we're under him. That doesn't mean life's going to be easy. You, see, you can mishear all those things as if you obey God, you'll have an easy life. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that if we walk in close fellowship with God, he, he is with us and we are with him and we walk through this life in fellowship with him and his people within the church. And that can be a foretaste of eternal glory. We gather for worship on the Lord's Day morning. 
when we share together in the Lord's table, it can be an appetizer course for our eternal feast. It can be an anticipation, uh, a, a first flavor of our eternity. So the New Testament uses language like the Holy Spirit's given to us as a guarantee, a deposit, earnest money on our eternal inheritance. So having God live within us by the Holy Spirit, being able to walk in fellowship with God because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, having God speak to us through his word and, and be present in our lives, that is an anticipation of when we will be with him and he will fill everything with his presence and we will be with him without sin, right? So so we need to take these things, as I said, and, and interpret them in a New Testament context. So let's walk through this chapter and see how that looks. God's given us commandments. He's given us statutes and rules. But in the New Testament, it's no longer written on tablets of stone. It's written upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit who lives within us. But we are still to live according to them. We're to live according to God's moral law. And it does go better for us spiritually when we walk according to God's moral law than if we wantonly and willfully, flagrantly disobey and neglect it. So how do we do that? Well, we need to begin by confessing our faith in God and who God is and then loving God. So verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now in a New Testament age, we understand that God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he's still one. The Lord, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. So we begin with a profession of our faith, hearing and saying and believing what we believe. Then you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is where Jesus pointed to say this is the most important commandment in the Bible. So it is beginning with believing what we believe and then not just having it be words that we speak and hear, but from the heart we respond in love to the Lord our God. And once we love God from the heart, then we speak to our children. We teach them diligently to our children. Too many Christians take this mindset of, well, I know this is the truth, and so I'm going to teach my children this because it's good for them to know the truth, but it skips the idea that I'm supposed to love God because of how great he is and how good he is. If I really believe this is true, if I really believe that the God who created the universe by the word of his own power, who upholds all things by the same word of his own power, has loved me, has saved me, has redeemed me, has forgiven me of all of my sins, has made me his own son, has given me an eternal inheritance in Christ, a place in his family forever. If I really believe that, how can I not love God with everything within me? I know that I fail to do that. I know that I sin. I know that I'm still selfish, but still there should be this sincere and earnest love for God from the heart, if I really believe who he is and what he's done. And out of the overflow of that love, I teach diligently my children. And then I talk about the things of the Lord when I sit at home and when I walk by the way, when I'm out in the world living my life. When I lie down and when I rise, that's morning and evening, beginning of the day, end of day. In the Jewish calendar, the day begins at, at sunset from sunset to sunset, but when you lie down, when you rise throughout your day, 
Bind them as a sign on your hand. That means it ought to affect the way we live our lives. And as frontlets between your eyes, it ought to affect the way we think and the way we see the world. In Revelation, we're told that the, the chosen ones of God are sealed by the Holy Spirit on their hand and on their forehead. They're sealed. And that means this law, you see, the Jewish people would have tassels on their robe that they could wrap around their hand to sort of remind them of the Lord. And they would have these boxes that they would put on their head to remind them of the Lord. But they became just an external show rather than an external aid, right? And so it's not about showing outside. Like, it's not just about, you know, wearing a Jesus t-shirt or putting a Jesus bumper sticker on the back of your car. It's about in how you live your life, what you do, and in how you think and how you see the world, allowing who God is, what he's done for us, and how we love him to shape all of that. We bind it as a sign on our hand. We, we have it as frontlets between our eyes. And then on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that means as for me and my house, as well as as for the community within Israel. This is where we need to be careful. What is Israel? Israel's the church. So the gates is not so much that we want to write God's law on the pagan, unbelieving, secular world because they don't know God, they don't accept God, they're not God's people. Rather, on the gates should be at the church. So not only at my house, but also in the church, in the local community, the local church, that God's word and God's ways and love of God and his gospel should be vitally there. And I should be contributing to that actively, not just because I'm a pastor, but you, if you're a member of the church, you should be contributing actively to the love of God and the things of God being in your hand, what you do on your forehead, how you think and how you see the world in your house and in the church. So engaging in godly conversation with people at church, praying for and encouraging the leaders of the church uh, trying to maintain, working to maintain the purity and peace of the church. And then there's blessing that goes along with that. When churches, when families and churches remain faithful to God, we walk in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, rightly understood, is not about cowering away from God because we're afraid of him. But rather, it is living with an awe, soul-gripping, awesome wonder at who he is and that he would be our God and that he would enter into relationship with us and make us his own people. To, to, to fear the Lord is to walk in holy, humble, reverent awe and wonder of who God is and what he's done. That's we should fear the Lord. By the way, there's a great book right here by Michael Reeves called Rejoice and Tremble, uh, The Surprising Good News of the Fear of the Lord. It's the joy of fearing the Lord. It's the freedom and the exhilaration that comes from having a soul gripped by the fear of the Lord. We're going to be doing this as an adult Bible study on Thursday evenings starting next week. 
And if you want to join that, you can just email me, pastor at foresthillpca.org. It's pastor at foresthillpca.org. And we'd be glad to have you join that adult Bible study uh, as we go through that book. But this is, what does it mean that it is the Lord your God you shall fear and him shall you serve? And by his name you shall swear and you shall not go after other gods. That book and going through it and going through the scriptures will help us to see how that makes our lives joyful and free when we walk in the fear of the Lord. But we don't run after other gods. That means the gods of the world. So often we do this when we measure the success of a church, for example, by worldly means. How popular, how many followers, how much money, how much influence. Or when we seek as Christians to have worldly measures of power and influence and not what God values. What God values is prayerfulness and gospel uh, proclamation in word and in deed and living as the faithful people of God and walking in the fear of the Lord. That's what God, God commands. And so... As God has commanded us to do all these things, we are to we are to live them in our daily lives. So let me wrap this up by giving you just a shorthand way of what that looks like. It looks like getting up in the morning and thinking about the Lord first. Thinking about the Lord even before you think about your morning cup of coffee. The first foggy thoughts you have, intentionally directing them to the Lord to give thanks for a new day, to give thanks for the hope of the gospel, and then getting into God's word. And you might need coffee for that to sort of help you be awake and engaged, but get into God's word and get into prayer first thing in the morning. And then when your kids are up or your spouse is up, you speak to them about the Lord. Out of the overflow of having spent time with the Lord, you speak to them about the Lord. And you pray with your kids, you spend time in the word with your kids in family worship or with your spouse or whoever's in your home. You gather them together once a day, whenever it works for you for a time in God's word for family worship. As you're going to bed, you're praying to God and thanking him for the day that he's given to you. On Sunday morning, the place you want to be to begin your week is in God's house with God's people and nothing's going to keep you from that unless you're absolutely hindered by God from going because of illness or, or absence. But you're going to be there. Uh, you, it's going to be the best priority of your week. And it's all flowing not from, not from religious do-goodism, not from checklist righteousness, but from a love for the Lord. And that shows rather than the end of this makes it sound like you earn a righteousness by doing those things. And we come into a new covenant context. We show in our lives that we've received the righteousness of Christ when we show that our hearts have been so changed that this is what we love to do. And this is what we in fact do with our lives, not because we're trying to earn something from God, but because of how good God has been to us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for the life that it gives us. Thank you for Christ, our righteousness and our peace. Help us to walk by faith in Christ today and every day, Father, that you might be the Lord of our lives, the Lord of our hearts and minds and hands and families and church and witness. Father, be in us, be with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Well, that's Deuteronomy chapter 6. I told you I love chapters 5 and 6, and part of the evidence of that is that we went uh, a little bit long uh, yesterday and today, but, you know, when we're in God's Word, it's just so rich sometimes. Colossians chapter 2 is on tap for tomorrow. Hope you can join us for that. Have a blessed day in the Lord.